Normally, I write a huge NFL season preview article for my website, can'tlosehues.com. I hit on division winners, wildcard teams, awards, playoff predictions, that sort of thing. Well, the timing synced up really well, so I decided to turn that article into a podcast. Surely that'll be faster than writing a whole ass article, right? Well, I planned on a 90-minute pod, and we went almost three and a half hours. (laughs) So we're going to cut this up into three parts. Joining me on the pod is my buddy from the sports journalism program at Syracuse and Newhouse, Cale Clinton. Cale graduated from Amherst College. He's a staff writer for Football Outsiders, and he writes and edits for Fantasy Six Pack. Follow him on Twitter at Cale Clinton, C-A-L-E-C-L-I-N-T-O-N. Up next, part one, AFC. Welcome into the second ever episode of the Can't Lose Hughes podcast. Uh, We're going to be going through some NFL season predictions. Joining me today is one of my fellow MND students at Newhouse, Cale Clinton. How you doing, Cale? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, week one really sneaks up on you. Yeah, we're uh, we're recording this at 4:40 Eastern time, so before the Dallas Tampa game. So if Tom Brady tears his ACL. It's not on us. It's out of our hands. Why would you say that out loud? Why would you do that to me? Because <laughs> I'm a Bills fan. He, uh, I, It wouldn't be the worst thing. Um, all right, so uh, where do you want to start here? Do you have any uh, just general thoughts heading into the season here? Uh, I don't know. It, it, I find myself every year talking my, like being able to talk myself into a handful of teams mm-hmm. uh, to win a Super Bowl. It feels – the field feels way wider this year, even though, like, Tampa Bay, Kansas City are definitely top dogs. Like, mm-hmm. feels like that second-tier teams is, like, ever-expanding. It's it's six to eight teams versus, you know, three to five. This year feels weird in that I feel like most years there's a second or a team that that uh, steps up and makes their, their cases like, all right, we need to take this team seriously. And this year I feel like the same four teams – from the conference championship games are the same four best teams. And normally there's like a step down. Somebody steps off. and I don't feel like either of the four did. Yeah, no, I completely see that. Like it, the real only uh, thing that could have changed that was Aaron Rodgers getting out of town. And uh, now he's running back him and uh, him and Devonta Adams doing the little last dance thing. And uh, yeah, that team's poised to absolutely, you know, They've, they've got their shot right back at the NFC Championship mm-hmm. if they want it. I'll be curious to see if there's any lingering, like, chemistry stuff from that. Like, you – one, on the one hand, they're professionals, and it's not going to – it shouldn't affect them. But on the other hand, like, I don't – like, just as a human, like, that has to, to, to be in the back of your mind at some point. Maybe it won't be in a few months here, but at least early. Yeah, but, I mean, how long has Aaron Rodgers been there? The guy doesn't talk to his family, so – you know, it's, it, this comes with the territory. <laughs> All right. So uh, I think we should probably start with the AFC East here. That's the division we're most familiar with as a, as a Bills fan here and a Pats fan for you. Um, so what do you, what are you thinking here? Looking at the uh, division as a whole, who's your favorite? I mean, it's Buffalo's to lose, honestly, uh, you know, it's just a matter of are we going to get that same Josh Allen that we got in 2020? I mean, mm-hmm. the 
just unprecedented, prolific third-year rise, Josh Allen, is not something we, you know, see often in the NFL. So it's going to be really interesting to see if they can maintain that level of just pure firepower on the offensive end. That being said, it kind of feels like Buffalo is going a bit of the, uh, like, 2018, 2019, 2020 Kansas City model where they're going full tilt on offense and their defense is just passable, like just enough to keep them in games, to keep the score within reach every time that they play. And, you know, if they end up, you know, they, they've just got to stay like, you know, just above like bottom 10 in DVOA for defense. And I think they'll be fine. But, you know, it really is their division to lose. Yeah, it's it's as a as a growing up as a Bills fan, that's just blows my mind just hearing it like, we didn't do anything the first 18 years of my life, and now we're favorites. Like, it still doesn't feel real. But the defensive note is interesting because I believe in terms of percentage of the cap, they are the number one spending team on defense. I believe that. And uh, so that that's mind-blowing. But at the same time, yeah, you're right. Like, it doesn't feel like they're, they're, they're that ferocious on defense. They're just passable. Yeah, I mean, Sean McDermott's really, like, he – the first two years that Josh Allen was in the league, he had that defense on Like, mm-hmm. it was a really exceptional group, and it just seemed to, like, just little hits here, little hits there. They just seemed to fall lower and lower every single year. And I think this year especially, they really haven't done much to, you know, revitalize that group, revamp anything they're banking, that they're doing on the defensive end of the ball. They're banking big on the uh, the pass rush from the draft, Boogie Basham and first-rounder Greg, Greg Rousseau. Those dudes can step up and be something. The other thing that's interesting is uh, Ed Oliver has been a bit disappointing coming in since in the 2019 draft, I believe. But last year, star, to, star Lou Tulele sat out because of COVID. And with him coming back, that should allow Oliver to be more of the, the pass rushing type of defensive tackle. And if that happens, that's really the key for them, I think. If, if the pass rush can be just something, that's, that's going to unlock everything. Yeah, I mean, you really, with the secondary that they have in Trey White, Micah Pye, even guys like Jordan Poyer, uh, Poyer and Levi Wallace, like, mm-hmm. they've got the talent to, you know, at least give some pressure to any wide receiving group that they have out there. It's just a matter of actually being able to get to the quarterback now and create that, like, second layer of, right. like, defensive cohesion. That being said, I would not say that this is, you know, outright – like it, it, Buffalo's not running away with this, you know what I mean? I think that the New England Patriots really have a chance to return to like prime defensive. It's it's really tough not having Stephon Gilmore to start the season for that team. It's you know I don't think they have a lot of depth at the secondary position. It's actually something they've been neglecting because they've had skill in J.C. Jackson for so long. Uh, right now, they've got a completely revitalized from set. Picking up Devon Godshaw, Matthew Judon, Dante Hightower coming back, uh, you know, drafting Christian Barmore. They're going to have a much more capable pass rush this year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, and, you know, especially run stop. They were one of the worst run defenses in the NFL last year. Teams could run all over. And I think really this year is going to be an exceptional, like, turning point year, especially because, mm-hmm. like, you know, I think everyone said at this point, you know, Belichick wasn't exactly pumped to watch his, you know, 
former uh, co-worker of 20 years walk out of the building and just immediately win a Super Bowl. There's going to be a little bit of uh, a little bit of something stirring up. I think he wants to, you know, at least this year is a proven year. Yeah, they're, uh, the defense is definitely the, the strength of the team and the coaching especially. And the offensive line is solid, like all around. That's the biggest in, in uh, biggest strength for Mac Jones. We we haven't even mentioned him yet. They're starting a rookie quarterback, and uh, that's going to be his biggest asset compared to all the other rookie QBs is having an O line to protect for him. The one note is that the pass catchers still aren't anything special. They're better than last year, but like yeah. Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers aren't jumping off the screen. Yeah, I get it's not going to, you know, make your cornerbacks quake in fear worrying about their uh, their matchups in the following week. But, I mean, it's a really strong running back room. Uh, I think just the amount of talent they have, it's a young talent, especially between Damian Harris, J.J. Taylor, the rookie Ramondre Stevens got a phenomenal preseason. Uh, they've got a lot of depth and a lot of versatility in that room. Uh, and this was still a team that uh and i you know it, it helps it helps the rookies or the, it helps the running backs run behind maybe a top so i have them as the third best offensive line in the league it's not often you lose your best offensive line and somehow not get better but you get more balance michael and Wenner did not have the size necessarily to play tackle i think he's going to fit much better at guard and replacing him with you know trent brown i understand he's underperforming vegas but the fact that he's going to come back is, you know, hopefully going to fix his motivation levels. That was clearly an issue in Las Vegas. But, I mean, they're these running backs are running behind a unit. Mac Jones yeah. going to be throwing behind a unit. This is also a team that I believe had, uh, you know, nine of their – or yeah, five of their nine losses were one-score games last year. Uh, they This team nearly beat the Seattle Seahawks in the peak of the – let Russ Cook movement. If Cam Newton and Stephon Gilmore both didn't have COVID last year, they knew they ran the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead to a one-score game with Brian Horder and Jarrett Stidham just trading interceptions back. Like it was a pretty miserable game, and they kept it very close. I will like this is a team that you know finished seventy-nine for all the doom and gloom that people gave Pats fans, this is a pretty competent team. I think they have a really good chance to bounce back. Yeah, it's to uh, to pivot towards the Dolphins. They're, they're almost the polar opposite, at least offensively, because while the, the Pats' strength is their O-line and the receivers are, I don't know if a weakness, but it's not a strength. And then you go to the Dolphins and the O-line is just garbage, but then you've just got speed demons running everywhere on the outside. And so that's – and then, of course, we get the Mac versus Tua battle – right here in week one so that that's that's going to make the break of the Dolphin season right there is if the O-line can let two a couple, held them for us, couple former teammates going back and forth really excited to watch that yeah. I I want to say that the Dolphins couldn't have put Tua in a better position to succeed just with the amount of sheer talent that they've surrounded him with but I also don't believe that this is like this offensive line is like the amount of the amount of talent they've shot off the back end of that offensive line, just the decisions they've made. I really think that because if you look at the guys that they have, Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, rookie Jalen Waddle, like 
these are all they're not it's not necessarily the only thing in their skill set these are all receivers that can stretch the field and Chua, when he can shine the most like he can let a ball loose like he can get strike downfield if he doesn't have the time to do that it's not setting Tua up for the best right possible outcome i was never the biggest Tua fan i don't i couldn't tell if it was the lefty thing or just coming out of bama and just they have so much talent there how good is the quarterback doing but i don't know something seems off of the dolphins to me like between the defensive regression coming as far as turnovers and that o-line just it scares me with tua i feel like he's he's gonna see the pressure and he's gonna just get a little fidgety and maybe he'll figure it out but i don't love love their uh, outlook there like I could see it working, but at the same time, I'm a little bit pessimistic. I think I need to see it to believe it. No, I totally get what you mean. It's it, for a team that still feels in the early parts of a rebuild. The pressure seems, you know, completely unbalanced. Like it feels like there's a lot of pressure on this team to perform when, you know, Brian Flores is in what his third, maybe fourth year there. Yeah, it, it's it's weird because they they have the secondary stupid good and the they've gotten we've talked about the offense on the skill position wise, but like they don't have an O line and they don't have much of a pass rush either. And it, if you're losing both both sides of the trench battle, I I have a hard time seeing the upside there. Yeah, I mean it, it, it is a testament to their secondary pivoting to the Jets. I think maybe their fourth corner on the roster is probably starting for the New York Jets. It's going to yeah. be really interesting for me to see uh, Robert Sala come in and try and do something with this secondary of mm-hmm. like, yeah. God, like guys that are, you know, not that Lamar Jackson, not that Michael Carr. Like, um, I gotta say I'm, I'm drinking the Jets Kool-Aid. That was really? one, of, one of the things that I, uh, came out of doing these doing my research here is i'm i'm drinking the kool-aid i hate to, i was uh eric eager on the pff forecast was drinking it as well and i think he's won me over i don't know about playoff contention here I, the defense is on paper horrible i like if he if he does anything with that on defense props to him but the offense i'm excited i'm really excited about the offense with, yeah, I'm, uh, expe- I'm especially excited about uh, – I'm sorry I just stepped on you for that. Uh, I'm definitely most excited about Elijah Moore. Oh, my God, um, yes. Yes. Everything that I've seen and her- heard out of camp, the Zach Wilson to Elijah Moore connection is going to be special. Yeah, I took Elijah Moore in pretty much every fantasy draft I've done this summer. And I, w- I texted her. I didn't text I was – on the on Twitter, I was DMing one of my friends that's a Jets fan, and he was like, "Yeah, he's the best player at camp right now, the best on the roster." And pair that with Zach Wilson, who I, he looks like an eighth grader, but he plays like an NFL quarterback. I'm excited to see what he can do. Plus Corey Davis, a competent O line, and a good play caller now. No Adam Gase, like ceiling is the roof here. Yeah, the Lafleur Shanahan system is going to be a lot of fun, especially you know. It'll be really interesting to see what they do with the just level of talent that they currently have. It feels like 
you're getting in on the ground floor or something special. Like watching this, like getting invested this season, watching this season, the amount of young talent that they have on the offensive side of the ball, like whether it be O-line, running back room, Zach Wilson at quarterback, receiver room. I really think that this could be something in a little bit. Like this is, you know, we're very early on this, but, you know, give the Jets like two, three years. If they can finally be a competent organization, like mm-hmm. this could end up being the start of something really cool. Yeah. So uh, what order do you have this division finishing in? Honestly, the one we went in, Bills, gotcha. Patriots, Dolphins, Jets. I'm not drinking the Jets Kool-Aid as hard as you. I think Miami's going to struggle a lot. Uh, I think the Jets still have like a lot that they need to deal with, especially mm-hmm. on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Quentin Williams is going to be great, but uh, hopefully he has a breakout season. But I think beyond that, like they're not going to be winning a lot of games just because of the secondary. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they're going to get you know really outpaced really quickly by the amount the teams are going to be able to throw the ball on them. Uh, Miami, you know, we'll see how this goes. I can't imagine the offense clicking well behind such a you know porous offensive line. I really think the Pats are knocking on the door wild card. I think they're going to be in contention. Uh, you know, if uh, if the sky is falling at seven and nine and they had one of the most high spending, like unrealistic non-Bill Belichick off seasons that they could have possibly had, then they've got to be, you know, they've got to make a quick turnaround and they've got an incredibly easy schedule. Right. But yeah, this is Buffalo's to lose. I think we've really got to see how Josh Allen turns out. Like, if he can maintain this level of success, then, you know, they're probably in contention for a Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. If the, if the pass rush clicks for the Bills, I, I Super Bowl seems extremely realistic for them. Uh, I, my bold prediction for this division is that the Jets will not finish in the cellar and will uh, climb out, of get to third, maybe, probably not second, but leaving the door open there. What about you? What's your bold prediction for the AFC East? My bold prediction for the AFC East is that Mac Jones finishes top three rookie of the year. I think, I I don't know if it's a sidecar bold prediction, depending on how the Jets finish. I actually do think Elijah Moore pushes into that conversation as well. I Mm -hmm. think he gets a high usage level and for the Jets, I think he kind of takes on a bit of like a Debo Samuel role that, you know, he took on his rookie year at the 49ers. He's going to be running a lot of Jets sweep. He's going to be used all over the field. I think he's got an incredible skill set. I just don't think he's good enough. I don't think the team's good enough to have him get pushed into that conversation, especially as a wide receiver. That being said, I think Mac Jones is the best situation of any rookie currently in football uh, or any rookie quarterback currently in football, mind you. Uh, I think he's going to be in that conversation. I think Aguilar with the deep threat. I think Jacoby Myers is going to end up being a household name because of the connection he's going to have with Mac Jones. Just his, like, do-it-all pass-catching ability. Uh, you know, he was lighting preseason up. Uh, and I even think that Nikhil Harry, like, now that he's been knocked down so deep on the depth chart, if he ends up sticking with this team and doesn't get traded, I think he ends up being a genuine contributor. And at that point, like, if we're going back to 12 personnel, like, early 2010s, grit and grind Patriots, like, you know, short passes over the middle, like, a lot of muscle, a lot of power running. 
Mac Jones has the accuracy and Mac Jones has the brain to actually, you know, execute in that regard. It's why Mac, uh, Josh McDaniels has been speaking so highly of Mac Jones. It's why he was so sought after by the Patriots in the draft. He feels like a prototypical Patriots quarterback. And I think if he meshes well into this system and starts decently off enough early, then yeah, like this is his to lose. Yeah, I, I agree on, I'm all in on Elijah Moore. I Honestly, if I, if I wanted to double down on the bold prediction, it's, it would be Moore has the second most receiving yards in, in the division. Obviously, Diggs is going to the favorite there, but then no one on New England really scares me. And I don't know which Dolphin would. Would it be Parker or Waddle or Fuller? So I, Elijah Moore is second most yards in the division seems pretty realistic to me. Um, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's pivot over to the, uh, the AFC North. And a rough, rough division for one team today. So let's start. We I think we got to start with the Ravens here. Already lost J.K. Dobbins to the season, and then losing Gus Edwards and uh, Marcus Peters to torn ACLs. It looks like today for the season. It has Someone's going to check in on that training staff, that practice field. Like there needs to be some sort of league intervention. That this is an unprecedented level of injury. Like this. It's a tough injury, but I mean, you know, I don't want to speak of the 49ers last year, but this is this is a tough injury bug to get, especially this early. Yeah, it's it's brutal, and uh, I wasn't super high on them coming in, but all these injuries just keep adding up. Just the worries, the worries just keep adding up. Uh, how are you feeling about the Ravens as far as potentially winning the division here? I think the Marcus Peters injury hurts a lot in terms of their defensive projection. Yes. But I am I am in the camp that really believes this is going to be a year where Lamar Jackson becomes a much more well-rounded quarterback in the sense mm -hmm. that he's never been that bad a passer. He's gotten mm -hmm. his reputation as a bad passer. The receivers have sucked. Yeah, he's had no one to throw to. His efficiency has been very high as a quarterback uh, in passing situations. And in all honesty, a lot of the like situations where they run more run plays and pass plays, it ends up just be it ends up just getting chalked up to the fact that Russell, fuck, I just don't know Russell, uh, that Lamar Jackson rushes. He scrambles a lot. Yeah. So these potential plays that get set up as passes, he ends up taking a couple steps, like looking at his options. Usually he doesn't have options outside of Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews. He ends up having to scramble. He ends up breaking out of the pocket. Those don't count as pass plays turned runs. They just count as run plays. Uh, I think especially before the Gus Edwards injury, I thought this when the J.K. Dobbins injury happened, and I still thought it was going to happen prior to that because of how heavily that Lamar – and the offensive coordinator have talked about it this past season. But I really think that there's a chance Lamar Jackson can actually be a 4,000-yard passer this year. I think Rashad Bateman is an invaluable asset to this Ravens offense. Yeah. I think his his injury preseason worries me a little bit, but I, I'm still high on the kid. He looked, every, every indication is that he's got all the goods to be a stud receiver in the league thousand percent but also the addition of sammy watkins now you're starting one week week one he's going to let it up and then we'll then we'll see 
But it's just a threat of Sammy Watkins. It's the yeah, exact yeah. same thing the Chiefs relied on. If he's your prominent number two, you then open things up for Hollywood Brown to take a much lower value assignment. Walt, like in terms of defensive progression, like he's now drawing a third corner. He's maybe drawing safety help. He's going to get more opportunities to shine. I don't think Hollywood Brown was ever meant to be a true wide receiver one in this league. And I think getting these additions of a solid season veteran, Sammy Watkins, and a new flashy actual wide receiver one rookie in Rashad Bateman is going to open things up a lot for this Baltimore offense. Mark Andrews just got his fat contract. So that'll be, you know, he'll, he'll be around for a long time. And you know how Lamar Jackson likes the connection there. Uh, I think there's a real chance, especially with all the injuries that they've sustained in the running back room. This is going to be not a pass first team, but it's going to be a more prominent passing offense for sure. Yeah, it's fu- it's funny we talked about Watkins here. This jersey behind me, this Bills number fourteen, is actually a Watkins jersey. We uh, we turned it into a Diggs jersey after after last season. But yeah, it's, maybe we'll bring some good vibes for Sammy. All right, to to pivot to my my favorite for this division is the Cleveland Browns, and it's a little like the Bills here in that this is the first time the Browns have legit expectations paired with a team that can actually meet those expectations. And so I'm I'm super excited to see what the Browns got got cooking this year. Odell's back, the defense they've upgraded John Johnson in the secondary. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do. Yeah, bringing back their entire starting offensive line, probably if not inarguably the best offensive line in football. Mm-hmm. Just the Nick Chubb Kareem Hunt rushing attack is unprecedented. Right, I cover. I write and edit for a fantasy six pack and looking through fantasy pros, historic uh, database for uh, like 2020 fantasy numbers. It's really not often that you see two running backs on the same team finish, you know, particularly high top 20, top 15. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt were running back 10, running back 11 fantasy. That's how high their production values are. And I think just another year in the Stefanski offense for is going to benefit everyone. I think Odell is finally – he seems to finally be feeling himself, according to reports. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of talent in that pass game. Uh, Jarvis Landry, another, you know, exceptional receiver. Everyone in Cleveland seems to love him. Uh, I don't agree with any of the fans saying this offseason that they wouldn't trade, uh, that they don't need, uh, you know – they need more Jarvis Landry's and not more Odell's. And they weren't willing to trade Jarvis Landry in exchange for Julio Jones. That is a terrible argument. I won't hear it. But I do think that this, this is going to be a pretty high-powered Browns offense. And they've only made upgrades on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty complete team. And for a team that's suffered so deeply for decades and decades and have never made a Super Bowl appearance, this is about as good of a chance as they've had in a long time. Yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm all in on them winning the division this year, and that was before all the injuries in Baltimore. Yeah. No, that's ruined the landscape for sure. I mean, I thought this. I really thought this was this division was a two-team race between uh, Browns and Baltimore. But uh, you know, honestly, I've been rethinking. I've been really low on the Pittsburgh Steelers 
all off season, you know, starting off 11 and 0 last year felt like a fluke. Turned out it was absolutely a fluke. Finishing the season going one and five the rest of the way, uh, getting their doors blown off in the playoffs by the Browns. But I'm, I'm starting to come around on them. I'm not. I'm not confident yet in them, but I'm. You know, I'm willing enough to say they might be underrated at this point. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm in the same boat. You you look around. The defense is just as good as it has been. Uh, the offense, Big Ben seems healthy. Who knows what that'll mean? But Najee Harris is what he is. He's got talent, but a running back can only do so much. The receiving talent's good. Like the, the offensive line is the biggest question here. But if they are just competent, you can see the the blueprint to them being a pretty solid team here. Yeah, the young guns of the young guns on that offensive line have seemed to step up in uh, in the preseason. You know, I definitely had a lot of questions about just the sheer number of departures and retirements that line faced in the offseason. And it seems like they've been holding up their end of the bar at least at the start of the preseason. Like in the live reps we've seen of them so far this summer. But the Big Ben injury is going to be a big deal. He's basically another year removed from Tommy John surgery. Usually pitchers look better. The second season coming back, coming off of Tommy John versus first, mm-hmm. so he could look like a more competent passer. But Big Ben cannot throw a ball ten yards down the field last year. And if they waste this really special receiving room, it's you know it makes it break. Uh, about defense, I think their front their front seven is phenomenal. I am worried about. Just what level of impact that Bud Dupree loss is going to have for the secondary. Uh, this is slowly looking like more and more of a passing division uh, with the amount of talent the Ravens have infused into their wide receiver room. The Cincinnati Bengals, who we'll talk about next, having a real good crop of young receivers, even if Jamar Chase can't catch footballs. Uh, and the Browns, you know, even though they are a run heavy team, just the amount of talent that they have on their wide receiver roster and in their tight end room. Uh, losing a losing a member of the secondary as valuable as Bud Dupree is really going to take a, you know, take a considerable toll probably on this passing defense. I just wonder how much it's going to affect, you know, how much it's going to affect the team in the wins and loss column at the end of the day. Yeah. We'll have to see about that. Um, so to uh, pivot to the last team here, the Bengals, I'm really looking forward to seeing this team and this this talented offensive group in 2022 because I am not feeling it this year with them. I I am not a uh, Zach Taylor fan, not that there are any, but I'm just I'm just not seeing it. Yeah, I mean, talk about a just Madden create a coach like just no identity, no like discernible traits to me at all. Uh, I think if Joe Burrow is going to function in this league at a high level, it needs to be under a new offensive system. It can't be under Zach Taylor. This team feels really rudderless. Like they don't have a ton of direction. Uh, I'm still pretty disappointed that just for the 
concern of Joe Burrow, period, that they did not go with Penn Sewell in this draft and they chose to go with Jamar Chase. Just because this offensive line, we've harped a lot on offensive lines because mm-hmm. I think it's a really underrated part of this whole process, and I think it is, and it does end up being pretty indicative of uh, at least offensive production. Uh, you can't have an offense function around a quarterback that just towards ACL and a shifty running back that needs holes to function and, you know, actually produce in Joe Mixon and just run them through a Swiss cheese O-line with, you know, some offensive changes, but no real, like, they were mostly lateral moves. Mm-hmm. There was no real improvement on this. At, at the time, I was – I was about 50-50 whether to take uh, Jamar Chase or Penisul. And as it gone on, May- Robert Mays and Nate Tice just laid into it the other day on their podcast. That was that was enjoyable. But, I mean, I'm convinced now that they probably should have gone with, with Sewell. I mean, if you go Sewell in round one, you they could have taken any one of a half dozen studs in the second and third rounds. Like, what could have filled the same wide receiver two role. Like, T- I'm really excited about T. Higgins. And if I'm that excited about T. Higgins – what was the point of Jamar Chase? That's death to a system, but, you know, trading, substituting A.J. Green for Jamar Chase helps a youth movement, but in terms of, like, present production for an offense, I don't know. Yeah. I think the I think the upgraded offensive line is going to be way more valuable. Right. All right, so I've got this division going. Cleveland. I'm, Baltimore and Pittsburgh. I'm I'm tempted to put Pittsburgh above Baltimore. I I my heart's not in it, but I'm tempted to. And then the Bengals, a pretty distant fourth here. What about you? No, I'll stay strong on Baltimore. I still think Cleveland wins this division pretty handily, but I am I'm really confident in Lamar's ability this year. I don't know if it's if it's MVP season two, but you know, I think it has that level of potential. I think. The change that I hope to see in this Baltimore offense would be enough to make them a, you know, a top three team in their division. I just don't think they're beating the Browns twice is my thing. I think the Browns are just going to be that elite and cohesive of a unit. So what is your uh, bold prediction for this division? Uh, My bold prediction is Lamar's going 4,000-1,000. I think yeah. he's going to maintain a high level of rush behind a really good offensive line, even though they lost Orlando Brown. He's still like he's he's you know, if he if he takes the leap that I think he's going to take, he's gonna really be a do-it-all quarterback, which we don't see often. My prediction is that he breaks his own rushing record for a quarterback. I'm I'm not optimistic as much as you as far as the passing. Because I'm not a Sammy, I'm not a huge Sammy Watkins guy, and the Bateman injury scares me a bit. Just low, lower leg injury preseason is just a little worrisome for a rookie. But I think he's statistically he's going to be a monster. I just don't know about the wins this year, especially now with the Peters injury, and they're going to have to throw a bit more. But uh, yeah, Pittsburgh is getting a little intrigued by them, but not not really because they're starting off 0 and one. That that's happening. Yeah, no, that is uh, – they are – I don't think they're going to compete with the Bills team. 
No, but I cannot. The, and I get to see that in person this weekend. I can't wait for that. You dog. Lucky you. Dude, I'm sitting right behind uh, the the end zone, right next to the tunnel, too. To watch, That's going to be a watch, blast. Watch Big Ben's tears roll down his face as he walks into the locker room. <laughs> All right. Pivoting to the AFC South. I hear you have some takes here. Fire away. Yeah, I mean, let's start off with Tennessee. Uh, Scott and Lauren, I, if you're listening, brace yourselves. This is it's such an it's such an interesting team right now. First off, I, I won't. I don't think there's a reason to speak of them. With the amount that they lost this offseason, I really think they've got a chance to just be like just bottom out on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Probably a bottom five defense this year. Uh, Football Outsiders actually has them projected to be the worst defense of the NFL, NFL in terms of DVOA. Uh, this offense, even with the addition of Julio Jones, is really a four-man offense. Runs down to Tannehill, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, and Julio Jones. Now, I think the thing that really held this offense together was the brain of Arthur Smith. Right. I think Arthur Smith losing is cataclysmic for this Tennessee offense. Arthur Smith is heavily, should be heavily credited for completely vitalizing I think he should be his future contracts. Henry was not the same Derrick Henry that we've seen. He wasn't Tractor Cito under Mike Floor when he was the offensive coordinator of the Titans before he left for Green Bay. He had two middling years before he really broke out into this, you know, heavy carries, grit and grind, like just ground and pound running back that we've come to learn, uh, like, know today. On top of that, I've done a lot of research into 2,000-yard rushers. Derek Henry's the eighth person to do it. Uh, everyone else has seen significant regression in the season immediately following that. 2000 yard season uh not as I, I think two of the eight, uh two of the seven running backs have averaged 90 plus yards a game none of them have averaged 100 plus yards a game uh barry sanders is the only running back of those seven to break 1400 yards in a season and they've all essentially seen a decline anywhere from 25% to 40% in total rushing. It's a significant drop. Derek Henry's numbers, he, he's flying up and to the right. Like, it is nothing but ascension. He's the only running back ever in the history of football to rush for 2,000 yards in high school, college, and the NFL. The senior season for Derrick Henry in high school, where he ran for like 4,500 yards and, you know, however many total touchdowns, looks like pure fiction. If it wasn't like previously recorded on the internet, like I wouldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. He's still phenomenal running back. I just, he's he's going to have a tough year. He's going to have a very tough year this year, in my opinion. Yeah. Let me make the case for the Titans. Um, the regression's coming for Henry, but that means they'll have to pass more. And the defense being terrible, I mean, they will have to pass more. 
And more <laughs> volume for AJ Brown and Julio Jones sounds like a good thing to me. And it's it's kind of similar to uh, the Seahawks, where they're when they're as their defense fall off, they forced Russell Wilson to throw more, and it turned out to help their offense. And I could see that happening for Tennessee, where AJ Brown, instead of getting however many targets last year, what one twenty ish, now him and Julio are both getting one forty. That that sounds like a good thing. The worry there is that I can't name their third receiver. Yeah, and plus two things for me. Uh, I don't think the Tennessee – I also looked this up in a preview I did for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Tennessee hasn't had 200 target receivers since 2003, I believe. And Julio Jones has also seen a lot of injury concern, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the last couple of years. If we can get a healthy Julio, he's still getting up there. He can still do stuff, but he, mm-hmm. he's definitely getting up there. So, yeah. you know. But, I uh, see yeah. the guy's a little bit for AJ Brown. Sorry. Yeah, I see the upside where it clicks. I just think it's on the lower end in terms of the range of outcomes of, as far as the percentage of it happening. Definitely. So if you're not, if you're low on the Titans, do you have the Colts win the division here? I don't. Oh shit! Here we go. <laughs> so uh, I, who do you got winning this division then? Jacksonville Jack. Oh boy. Oh boy. There's got one it. team. There's one team every year in the last couple of years that's gone from worst in their division to first in their division. This year, easy, easy answer you can give: San Francisco. They're getting 30 plus people back from the IR. Like it's gonna be a team clicking. Uh, I, I think they're gonna take a little bit of a step back, losing both their coordinators. That's not the point. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think this division is specifically poised where there's a certain range of outcome where the Jaguar, like Tennessee Titans, drastically underperform production. The Indianapolis Colts, I think my my bold prediction for the Colts is that we see Sam Ellinger, Jacob Eason, and Carson Wentz start games. We'll talk about that when I get that uh, when we get to the Colts. But I think this is gonna be a bit of a bumpy ride for the Colts. Jacksonville Jaguars are very intriguing. They're bringing back all five of their offensive line, which continuity on the offensive line is key. You know, if anything, that's going to bump you up a couple points in the rankings alone, regardless of skill level. Cohesion continuity on the offensive line is paramount to success. I think they've got enough skill players. Obviously, they've lost Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for the – not Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Travis Etienne. Yes. They they lost Travis Etienne for the season. Uh, That's – a big blow. James Robinson still a very competent running back. Trevor Lawrence, it's Trevor Lawrence. I think they've slowly developed, you know, adding Marvin Hall, keeping DJ Char. I think they've developed a little bit of a, you know, a, a, a feisty wide receiving room. Uh, How is their defense going to fare? I don't know. But I think this offense does have a ton of upside. Uh, Urban Myers always talks about the fact that first and foremost, to run his offense, he needs a quarterback. Brian Schottenheyer and Dayball uh, running this offense along with Urban Meyer, this is going to be Trevor Lawrence's rookie of the year to lose. I know I said that about Mac Jones, that he was going to be in the conversation. If this... You know, if this if this is the universe we're going into, 
where the Titans underperform, the Colts underperform, and the Jaguars sneak in, there's no way Trevor Lawrence isn't winning our game. If they win the division, yeah, it's a wrap. It's not even. Oh, yeah. Not even close. And I think some, I do agree in that some of the stuff Urban has said over the offseason are we're losing a little bit of the sight that he's been a successful football coach everywhere he's been. Granted, it's been at the college level. But he, he, he knows what he's doing a little bit more than I think some people have given him credit for. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I don't know. I'm just not. I want, I want to, I want to be there. I want to be where you're at. And you, you I mean, I'm, you've sold it well to me because I do not like really any of the teams in this division. But I'm not quite all the way in on as much as you are here. I yeah, like, I the like AFC it South. The AFC South is a real mess, and I think there is, you know, there's a lot of chance for some, you know, Urban Meyer college trickery. I think there's a lot of stuff that he's done whether it was, you know, issues with the strength coach immediately starting the season, uh, you know, drafting ETN in the first round and now just not having him contribute in his rookie year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there were also a lot of reports at camp about players complaining that the training camp was feeling a little too college-y with how Urban Meyer was running things and treating players. But at the same time, I think this is going to be a team that a lot of, I don't think they've, you know, shown everything that they can do this offseason. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of trickery, you know, up Urban Meyer's sleeve in this offense. And I think if anything, they can just, you know, they can, they can, you know, work around their difficulties and find ways to win in unexpected ways. I don't think a lot of teams are ready for what this team can throw at. And they're going to get off to a 1-0 start here. They got Houston in week one, so. Lock it in. Good start. And let, let's just hit the Texans real quick. I mean, I wrote down as their one strength as being low expectations. Because I have, what else is, I'm, the only thing that really is to talk about here is what the hell they're going to do with Sean Watson. He's apparently on the 53-man roster, and they're just going to bench him the whole season. I, yeah, I mean, it's a bad person until they put them on yeah. commissioners on the list and they have an actual, you know, credible, not credible, but until there's an actual decision made around it, I don't think they can really do anything but just hold them on the roster and put them on yeah. leave. So, but uh, this is a roster, this offense especially, is a roster full of names where I just look, oh, yeah, that guy is still in the league. Like, running back room. Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, David Johnson, Rex Burkhead. Some of the wide receivers consist of Brandon Cooks, Chris Conley, and Danny Amendola. Like, this is a who's who of like people you would have been intrigued by in Madden drafts in 2016 and 17. Like, this is a funky roster. And I guess you need to throw anything at a wall to kind of see how it sticks. This defense looks even worse now that the Brandon uh, Robley trade has gone through to the New Orleans Saints, you know, probably trading one of their best corners that they had on the roster. And, you know, this is, I, I guess they're fine for whatever quarterback ends up in the 2021 or 2022 draft. But yeah. you know, they've got a lot more holes to fill beyond quarterback at this point. Yeah, this team sucks. I don't want to talk about them anymore. Let's 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 circle back to the uh, to the Colts. I think we're both a little bit iffy on the Colts. They've had a 
rough off season here with some injuries and uh, some a bunch of COVID related issues. Uh, Lindsey Jones on the Athletic Pod said that it, it's a rumored that over half of their starting offense is unvaccinated. So on a week to week basis, any number of them could be out. I do not know that. That is that's, that's a terrifying. Lot of players. And when when the main one is your starting quarterback in Carson Wentz, who's also been dealing with a pretty significant ankle injury throughout the offseason, there's a lot of reason for doubt here coming into the season. Yeah, I could not agree more. The, the Carson Wentz situation is so intriguing to me because they're, the Indianapolis Colts are incentivized. If things are going south, or if they don't think that this is going to pan out, they're incentivized to just bench Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between giving up a second-round pick and a first-round pick in this year's draft. Mm-hmm. If that happens, they've essentially just got to wave the white flag on the season. Right. Like, And it feels like they've got a lot of you know young talent. They've got a really strong running back room. Their wide receiver room is like starting to come together. They're putting a lot of money in weird places on the defensive end in positions you wouldn't normally want to invest all of your money in edge rushers, not edge rushers, but you know, linebackers, defensive line, uh, instead of putting it in corners and edge rushers. But this is this is going to be a really interesting year, and I think that level of instability in all phases of the game, uh, you know. Even the offensive line, having Quentin Nelson, you know, maybe the best offensive line in the league, deal with a foot injury, having to carry the rest of this offensive line. And, you know, foot, foot injuries for quarterbacks and foot injuries for offensive line are two very different injuries. Yeah. The amount of ground and pound, the, the, just the wear and tear that Quentin Nelson's going to have to put on that foot, stomping and driving every single play. It's going to be a completely different reaction to then like Carson Wentz wearing a couple extra socks on his foot to keep it numb yeah. and to keep it in place. Uh, you know, maybe this line will look better when Eric Flowers eventually gets healthy, but it's, it's such a weird position to be in. Like it is maybe the true definition of no man's land for a team. Yeah. And the, the scary thing. So if they have all this, all these question marks coming in, you'd hope they'd get off to a, a quick start or something just to ease their way in. And instead, they go home for the Seahawks, home for the Rams, at the Titans, at Miami, at Baltimore to start. Yeah, let's just jump out of the gate, getting thrown to the dogs. Yeah. That is that's a tough five-week stretch to kick things off. And like you were saying, they're incentivized to bench Wentz if things go south. And if things go south early, granted, after that, they have a couple of easy ones. But if, it, if things go south early, then – they might have to just wave the white flag right then and there. Yeah, I mean, what of the trust they have in that? Like mm-hmm. this, this, like what would feel so bad about it is just the fact that this division feels so up for grabs. It's definitely Titans are favored right now, but I don't think there's much separating. You know, I, I think Indy's lows and Jacksonville's highs are extremely, extremely close. Yeah, and I think just with the amount of change that the Titans have had. Especially, like, we've talked a lot about the offense, but especially how poor that defense is looking. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, for as, as little as we want to talk about this division, we could for a long time. Yeah. Because it feels 
more and more like a three-team race every time I look at it. I can, the Titans, to me, have the highest ceiling here, but also the lowest floor of the – no, lower three. floor than the Colts. Lowest floor of the three. No one's yeah. lower than the Texans. Yeah. I even say the Jags have a lower floor than the Titans just because they're so young. But the Colts, to me, have the highest floor, but honestly the lowest ceiling. Nothing the, – the frustrating thing to me, like you were saying, this division is so up for grabs. And Chris Fowler has been so hesitant to do anything aggressive and it's to me, he's the Danny Ainge of the NFL. They've had so many opportunities to go get somebody, go get something, and they just kind of don't. They do these little moves, like like they traded for DeForest Buckner. They trade, I believe, the 14th overall pick for it. That's a bit of a risk, but not too much. And then this year, why not go up and get somebody? It's, let's let's say they they make they make the trade up. They go up to 11 and go get Justin Fields. How are we feeling about this team then? Like. We could say that for about a half a dozen teams, but I just wish they would have been more aggressive and went got somebody for the future, not Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, I mean, if we're talking ranges of outcomes, like you could either be in the running for MVP or in the running for worst quarterback in the league. Yeah. Like, the, like the valley that exists between the ranges of outcomes for Carson Wentz is so vast and – you know, if it hits on that high range of outcomes, on that high end of expectations for them, where, you know, we do see a really, you know, on the ball Carson Wentz, the only thing that he needed was to just change his scenery, get a little bit more protection on the OL and get some more weapons in his hands. I, you know, I see where they could talk themselves into it. Especially with it's, the Frank Wright connection. Oh, a thousand percent. It's what made Car- it's not what made him so good, but you know, it certainly helps him in Philly. Mm-hmm. It just, I think that the low end of it is so low that, you know, do you give up that high draft capital and that investment of cap space to take a flyer on a guy? Like, yeah, the, That's what- it does. It doesn't seem to balance properly. Yeah, I, I, the whole move just made no sense to me. So you're going with the Jags. I think I'm going to default to the Titans. I just I, – I can see the upside there. My bold prediction for this division, a little bit spontaneous one, but I think A.J. Brown could leave the league, the league in receiving yards. It would be top three. That So I'll, I'll go with that, top three. Yeah, my bold prediction is Derrick Henry is sub – you know, 1,400 feels – I don't like know, man. You picked the Jags to win the division. That sounds like a bold prediction. That's its own. That's its own <laughs> bold prediction. But I'm, I'm still. I think, I think Derrick Henry is going to, you know, in the words of Max Callum, fall off a cliff. Oh, I love Max. Um, all right, let's go to the last division here. Uh, I think we, we both are going to have the same division winner here, the Las Vegas Raiders. No, I'm just kidding. We're going. I, I got the Chiefs here. I'm, what else is there to say? Got. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, Tyron Matthew, Chris Jones, pencil it in, book it. That being said, this is the worst Chiefs team we've seen in the past Mahomes era, in my opinion. I, I think they probably overcorrected after the Super Bowl, and I understand the necessity behind changing your offensive line. 
and investing wholeheartedly, getting guys like Joe Tooney, getting uh, the uh, not Chris Long, the other getting Kyle Long to come out of retirement, getting Lawrence Duvernay Tardif to wait, not Lawrence Duvernay Tardif, uh, the doctor. Now that sounds that sounds right. Long man. Yeah, yeah, the Chiefs doctor that took off to uh, help fight COVID in Canada and then came back. Uh, like, there are certainly some upgrades on this line. But, you know, I know you're not a Sammy Watkins guy, but Sammy Watkins. Oh, he hurts. That loss hurts. a big him. unspoken role in this Chiefs offense. There's Behind a- Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, who's the wide receiver to you? Is it Miko? Yeah. Like, Miko Hardman doesn't, you know, strike fear in the hearts of defenses or at least, you know, draw the same concern level as the Sammy Watkins. I don't think, uh, you know, Demarcus Robinson is going to have the same level of effect. And at that, well, at, you know, at that point, like what's your depth, Byron Pringle? Like yeah. this, this is, it's really, you know, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and like, yeah. Sorry. There's a reason they, they tried to sign Juju, and I can't understand why Juju didn't take more money to go play with this team, but there's a reason they wanted him. Yeah, I mean, they needed one other person. Another thing I will point out is they've always had, like, a star feature back, whether it be them taking Le'Veon Bell, whether it be them having Kareem Hunt in the early years of Mahomes, but they've always had, like, a prominent NFL running back to also carry the workload. A lot is falling on Clyde Edwards-Alaire's shoulders. And if he's run behind as good of a line as we saw in the preseason, you know, more power to him. We'll see some success out of him. But this really feels more and more like it's coming down to, you know, if, you know, knock on wood, God forbid, if Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill get injured, what does this team look like? Because we haven't seen Pat Mahomes without – elite level weapons yet and depth on the offensive side of the ball. And this is, again, like the Titans, this isn't even getting into the defense where, you know, we saw in the Super Bowl, you know, guys like Tyree Matthews just get picked apart. Like, this defense is, you know, it's it's a model they've worked with for years to have a, like, an offense that strikes fear in the hearts of your defense that makes you pass the ball all over the place. And then they just have a bend, don't break defense that works as well as they can, but isn't going to, you know, wow anyone. I think that it's starting to, they're looking more and more vulnerable this year. I think they look more vulnerable this year in terms of the number one overall seed than they have at any point in the Mahomes era. I'm not sure I fully agree. I see the downsides, but until one of those, until someone gets hurt here, um, this team looks just scary as hell. To yeah, me. there is no stopping a healthy Travis Kelsey and a healthy no. Tyreek Hill when Pat Mahomes is throwing the ball, and he'll yeah. have all the time in the world to throw triple to. Oh yeah, perhaps the team I'm most looking forward to in the entire league this year is the Chargers. I there's so much reason for optimism here. Brandon Staley coming into coach. Justin Herbert, a year two, I don't. A breakout seems unfair because he was so good last year. Like he's not breaking out; he's just proving it was correct. But uh, the defense with Joey Bosa and 
and Derwin James and with Brandon Staley calling the shots out here, I think there's a lot, a lot of reason for optimism. Uh, a thousand percent. I, I am a self-proclaimed Herbert guy. I am really excited about him working the new Joe Lombardi system. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a little bit of the, like, you know, earlier back end of the Drew Brees era where he was still throwing for 5,000 yards a season, really striking downfield. And also coming from that Shanahan system, bringing in a lot of the outside zone running game, uh, a lot of jet sweep stuff. I think the Joe Lombardi offense is going to do wonders for Justin Herbert compared to what he was running with Anthony Lynn last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Austin Eckler is going to have a transcendent season. I think he's, you know, he's in that conversation to be one of the few people in NFL history to have a thousand yard rushing, thousand yard receiving season. Depends on the workload and depends how often they're going to be running this ball. But, you know, he's run behind an improved offensive line. I think there's a lot more inventiveness and ingenuity on the like on the play calling side of the offense. And it's just a it, it's a team that seems to finally have a little bit of life to it. Yeah. Uh, touching on the defense. Uh, Brandon Staley, you know, does not have the Jalen Ramseys and the Aaron Donalds that he does, that he did on the other side of town in L.A. I guess on the other side of town, the other side of the same stadium that they play in. But <laughs> the it's it's going to be fun. It, it's it's the same optimism I have of Salah in New York. I'm excited to see what he can do with the pieces he's dealt with. I think Joey Bosa, and I, especially if they have a have a healthy Derwin James, which oh my God. this team hasn't had in two years. The videos of him guarding Keenan Allen one-on-one in camp, like, if that doesn't get your blood pumping, I don't know what does. I, yeah, I can't wait to watch this team. I, They've always played the Chiefs well. But I, I'm, I'm just not – I'm not picking them against it, but I could see, see the range of outcomes where, kind of like we were saying with the AFC South, where if the Chiefs struggle, maybe – Maybe Tyreek goes down for a few weeks. I could see the Chargers, if any team were to, to overseat, overseat the Chiefs here, could see it being them. Yeah, and, and especially there's a lot of conversation about year two regressions, like a sophomore slump that usually comes for breakout rookie quarterbacks. But I think Justin Herbert's actually in a really unique position to overcome that slump just because – He's got more protection than he had in his first year. I think the new system uh, really prevents defenses from figuring Justin out and sort of solving him. Uh, I think it's going to really suit his skill set a lot. And Mm -hmm. it's it's going to be really interesting. He's also got an incredible support system there. Like, not only has Drew Brees been showing up for casual mini camp appearances and training camps, just to help Justin work with the system. So he's got Chase Daniel as his backup, who was in New Orleans backing up Drew Brees for forever, who's, you know, apparently been an incredible offensive mind, like a great locker room presence, just because he's able to teach these guys so much. I think he's going to be a great mentor for Herbert. And he's got Jared Cook now. Jared Cook is a big upgrade at tight end. And I think, you know, he's getting up there in years. But I think his ability to actually give a learn the offense and work the offense mm-hmm. is going to pay dividends for her. So if there is, if, you know, if the chiefs leave that door a crack open, I think the chargers can burst. there. Mm-hmm. And I was, 
I was optimistic that the Broncos could be this team, but I'm just not seeing it. I, the receivers, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, and then Noah Fant in the, at the tight end, plus Albert O, like, and a competent O line, like it, it, they have all the pieces to maybe be something. But then Teddy Teddy Bridgewater, like, what, and this what, is a what, championship what, level defense too. Like, yeah, under like, Fangio too. Like, I can see it. And then they like this is why I would have started Drew Locke because at least Drew Locke has the top end. Maybe is it a five percent chance of it hitting? Yes, but Teddy Teddy's a zero. So why not give Drew one more shot? And that just that speaks to how bad he must have been in the in preseason camp if they won with Teddy. I think you need that high floor from Teddy though, instead yeah. of the high ceiling low floor. Just because like you recognize what this team can do. Like you recognize the sheer level of talent that exists on this roster. If Drew Locke's calling the shots, I don't think that this team wins as many games just because like he can have those couple games where he like freaks out and just pops off, uses some deep strikes, the mile high stadium, you know, is actually incorporating Jerry Judy into an offense and not letting him collect dust on the side. Like, mm-hmm. he, you know, properly using the assets he's given, the defense does what the defense is going to do under Fangio. Like, that is that is in such a limited range of outcomes. That's, that's not going to happen that often. And you really have to luck into it or get him on a hot streak to do it. I think the high floor that Teddy Bridgewater was able to operate under, people forget he was – not necessarily, you know, surprising a ton of people and, you know, delivering a lot of shock, but he was solid in Carolina. He made them look like a desirable, like he had a pretty desirable receiving room there until Christian McCaffrey went down. Like the team was clicking, you know, Teddy Bridgewater Panthers beat the Chargers pretty handily. uh, And they did it behind a pretty poor offensive line. Like, Teddy's in a great position to succeed. And I think what he, like the stability and the consistency he brings, you don't need the extreme high variance of Drew Locke with this roster. If anything, it's going to cost you wins more than it will earn you wins. I I agree with that. And Mitchell Schwartz on Robert Mason's podcast said the same thing. He'd rather have the consistency that Bridgewater gives you. But the way I see it is yeah, Bridgewater will give you the higher floor and they, their chances of making the playoffs are higher. But to me, my goal is to win the Super Bowl. And I'm there's, I cannot see a world where Teddy Bridgewater wins the Super Bowl. Granted, the world where Drew Locke wins the Super Bowl is one in a million. But that's higher than zero in a million. So that's that's why I would have at least given him a shot. Listen, if Trent Dilfer can make Super Bowl appearances and Eli Manning can win two rings, like, you just need that one little, like, like, those range of outcomes exist. Those extremely weird scenarios where average to a slightly above average quarterbacks go on improbable Super Bowl runs. It doesn't happen with, like, high variance guys. It happens with high floor guys. I guess I don't know. I just don't see it too as happening as much anymore with the quarterbacks in the AFC, especially. Like, I just don't see him walking into KC, KC meaning Teddy walking into KC, walking into Buffalo, and just having to score 30, 35 in a game to win it. I just don't see it. 
maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe, but and, and I mean, we're, we're we're talking about the top five percent in the in oh the yeah outcomes here. So like, the reality is they're probably going nine and eight, and that that's just how it is. But yeah. But the thing, like, I I understand the argument for variance. I mean, look at the like Las Vegas Raiders, like just. Gruden puts together one of the more efficient offenses in the league. Mm-hmm. And they always seem to, I don't know if it's just because of the fact they have a similar structure to Kansas city in so much that like it's a passable defense with a, you know, high flying offense, not as high flying as Kansas city's obviously, but in order to put points on the board, uh, I, I just don't, I don't I never understand John Gruden, Mike Mayock ever doing it anytime. No one does. In terms of running this team. Like, the offensive line is one of their strengths, and they got it for no reason. Like, I I don't know. Makes no sense. This team makes no sense. It's actively hurting Josh Jacobs, who, like, Josh Jacobs is a a very, very solid running back. He's in that, you know, he's in the conversation for that second-tier third tier of like top talent running back, mm-hmm. but he needs an offensive line. He needs those holes to open. And yeah. just with the amount of change that they've done, like they, they were going to cut Rodney Hudson. If the Arizona Cardinals did not reach out for a trade, like this is a really, really weirdly run team. I yeah. don't understand. The, they, they gutted the O-line to throw throw like just hit try to hit some home runs on defense with a bunch of former decent players and it's just i just don't see how it pays off not in this division they also they also gave kenyon drake a back why yeah (laughs) yeah josh jacobs can catch can catch their group i just just give them the ball like it's so weird I, I can't even what, – what are we doing here? We're just talking in circles <laughs> about the Raiders. I don't want to do this anymore. All right, so yeah, we've, no got, we've got the Chiefs winning this, and then do you have any other playoff teams coming out of this division? Yeah, I think I think, I think the Chargers have a very good chance of sneaking into the wild card. I'd probably mm-hmm. have them as a like, second or third wild card team. I don't know if they have the ability to really compete with the Chiefs for wins. Uh, I think having the Chiefs in their division, having the insane Broncos secondary in their division, uh, it's it's going to be a four tough games on that 17-game schedule. Mm-hmm. But I think just the amount of change that Justin Herbert's going to see, uh, an improvement on the offensive line, a lot of talent on that side of the offensive ball, the ingenuity of Brandon Staley, I think there is – like a lot of upside to this Chargers team. I could really see them making a push for like, not just a, like, let's get in the wild card. Let's play on Saturday. And, you know, we'll pat ourselves on the back for making it to week 19. I think they have a legitimate chance if they get into, you know, ruffle a couple of feathers. I think they can make a push to get into the divisional round, to compete in the divisional round. Do I think this is like, but that I will say that as I say all of it, uh, I think they've made a lot more changes uh, that are going to benefit this team. 
uh, compared to the example I'm about to give. But I do get a lot of shades of the 2019 Browns, where like the Mina Kimes profile comes out about Baker Mayfield. Everyone's really gassing this team up because of the Odell Beckham acquisition in its first year and getting Jarvis Landry on top of that. The, I think like it's, we always, there's always a team we arrive to a year early mm-hmm. and the char- like the chargers are the prime candidate to be that team. But I think they've done enough where I can like, where they can combat that sort of yeah. stigma where they can battle that sort of those early growing pains. I think they've yeah. got enough on this team to really do something special. I'm in on them, and uh, I I have them as the the top wild card team, and that's huge because that means they would face the AFC South winner most likely, which is that that's where you want to be. You do not want to face Buffalo, Kansas City, or Cleveland in round one. Mm-hmm. You want the Colts or the Jags or the the Titans. Uh, and I could see Denver, I could see Denver squeaking in there as the seventh seed. I I guess I could even see the Raiders. I don't I don't really expect it in any way, but. There's a world where they go 10 and 7 here and sneak in. So that was part one of my NFL season preview with Kale Clinton. In part two, we'll be tackling the NFC. Stay tuned for that.